Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. All right, uh, my name is Mike. Welcome. We're thrilled that you're here with us this morning. Um, we, had to, we had to open up. Wow. Uh, we had to open up with a little Pearl Jam. Um, 10, the album 10 came out 25 years ago. I was, I was four uh, at that point. And uh, so we had to just, just, just set the mood. Um, my name's Mike. Welcome to Vox. If this is your first time with us, hello. Hello. And, uh, and we'll try, we'll try, we'll try uh, to put it back, the back row, the, it is impossible to be more far away than those two young ladies up there in the corner. Welcome. That is the introvert corner. Uh, that is, please don't talk to me. I will run out of here. Now, speaking of introverts, we have a plan to entrap you before you leave. Uh, we have Dippin' Dots, uh, free Dippin' Dots for you. That's, the, yep, it, yes, yes. So we're just trying to trap you here so that we can at least say hello. Hello, introvert. So uh, we have free Dippin' Dots, so prepare yourselves for that. Um, also, uh, let's see, we have a website that you can check out if you want to find out more about us, voxoc.com. If you're wondering what Vox means, it was Latin, so we loved it already, and uh, it means voice, um, and because I have a beautiful voice, and so we thought, we thought that would be appropriate. Um, let's see here. Anything big happened this week? Anything big? Any, I mean, football's back, which is wonderful, so that's big. What? The Harvest Crusade. There you go. That's the Greg Laurie thing, correct? Okay, all right. Anything else? The what? The, Bronco, the team, the Broncos, won a preseason game. That's better than my Browns, so I can't even, I can't even, can't even complain. All right, anything else big? I mean, I love how epic these things are that you're sharing. This is amazing. Nothing? What? You had cereal? A bunch of people were what? A bunch of people were killed in Syria. Okay. One more thing, Mike. No. You should have led the Of course. They only let bald guys. Only let bald guys do that. I was trying to think. I had a joke, and then I thought I'd better not. All right. Anything else? All right. Then, then... You can't stop it now. It's starting. So this was your chance. A um, couple of things. Number one, if you're here, well, w- one of the things I really love uh, about this community is that there are folks here from all over the religious spectrum. So we've got some devoted Jesus folks. We've got some devoted I'm not sure about Jesus folks. We've got some devoted I love church folks. We've got some devoted I hate church folks. Uh, and, uh, and we just are thrilled that however you happen to be here, we're thrilled you're here. And the, the one word uh, we want to give you at the beginning of the service is just permission 
to engage or not to engage, however, uh, none of us will be offended if you fall asleep. Uh, none of us will be offended if you don't stand when we're singing or if you're not a huge fan of singing. Uh, we are totally okay with you doing whatever you're going to do. Um, and uh, we're super excited because our community is really built on three values. First uh, is that we feel the church should be the safest place to talk about and wrestle through anything. And so we have got the biggest collection of screw-ups in this room. It is outstanding. We probably lead Orange County in screw-ups per capita uh, than, than any church. So that's a big deal. Uh, and, then, and then secondly, um, we believe the church should love and serve the world. So we're not, if you're a Jesus follower, we're not here for us. We're here uh, for something much bigger than that. And then thirdly, we believe that the church must capture the hearts and minds of the next generation. And, uh, and to do that, uh, I'm going to preach shirtless today. And uh, we, we think that that's, that's what the kids want. So, dipping Dots. All right. Um, we happen to be big fans. Well, some of us happen to be big fans of the Bible. Um, so, why not? Let's open this. Um, go, if you would, to the book of Luke. Darth Vader's favorite book, of course. Yes. And uh, let's go to Luke chapter 5. Now, we have been, we're, we're, we're a, a community that is super, super um, impressed with the, the beauty and the majesty of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, Christians, of course, haven't always done a great job reflecting his beauty. Um, so we, we think it's, it's absolutely important to get him in view as he really was, how radically loving he was. How, how critical he was of heartless religion, um, how, uh, how immensely loving and kind, particularly to the outsiders, to the broken, to the marginalized he was. And so to do that, we, we continue to hold before us the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, um, and so we've been looking, oh, hold on. Mrs. Erie, Mrs. Erie, hello, Mrs. Erie. It's tough to focus, I'm not going to lie. Now, it's my wife, so pray for her. Um, she chose this. Not this, maybe, maybe a thinner version of this. Um, uh, so what we've been doing uh, all summer is we've been looking at the different ways Jesus was criticized. It's kind of a backwards way to look at what Jesus was doing. So he was criticized for claiming to be God. He was criticized for eating with sinners. He was criticized for um, having a controversial birth. And so we've been looking at these insults. And what I want to do the next couple of weeks, you'll be dying to know, is I want to look at four different groups that interacted with Jesus and how Jesus responded to each. And so, so we want to contrast those that chose to follow him with those that didn't uh, this week. And next week, we're going we're gonna to contrast the, the religiously humble and broken versus the religiously proud and how Jesus reacted to them. So Luke chapter 5, we meet a guy named Peter. Now, Peter has become a saint 2,000 years later, but back then he was just, he was a, like blue collar, a bit mouthy, a bit impetuous. I really like him. I'm not sure why. I feel drawn to this guy. Um, uh, and, and so one day Jesus is teaching and such a large crowd gathers. Peter and his, he, he owned or was part of a fishing business. And so they were, they'd been fishing all night 
Uh, and they were mending their nets after a hard night of fishing. And Jesus says, hey, guys, can I, can I borrow your boat? And so Jesus takes their boat out um, into the sea and, and begins to teach the people on this natural amphitheater. And, and so this is the interaction he has um, with Peter, verse number four. And, and if you're not familiar with the Bible, everything will be up on the screens. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now this is Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. They'd been close to shore as Jesus was speaking. Jesus is like, hey, let's go back out and do some more fishing. Peter, and, and you can hear some of the passive aggressiveness here from Peter. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. In other words, hey, Jesus, stay in your lane. Okay, you're good at religious stuff, and we know your dad was a carpenter. Um, okay, I mean, can't you hear like your mom saying something like this? You're like, I think it's really dumb that you're asking me to do this, but because it's you. When they had done so, so even reluctant obedience is blessed. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, now here's, here's why this is kind of a big deal. And, and I know you're very familiar with fishing practices in first century Judaism. But in the Sea of Galilee, when you're fishing at night, you fish a certain way with a certain kind of net. You can use very large nets uh, and you scoop. You just, you row and you have a net behind you and you're scooping. Or you throw from the shore a huge net that's weighted and pull it in. You can do that at night because the fish cannot see the nets. Daytime, you use a different net and a different technique entirely. They were mending their night nets. They put those back into the boat. Jesus says, hey, throw the night nets out and let's catch some fish. Peter's like, dude, really? Really? But because it's you, okay. So when the nets find themselves so full, they would have recognized this is something a little bigger than luck. Because night nets don't catch fish in the daytime like this. So Peter, you can imagine, their eyeballs get massive because they've just hit the lottery. Okay? Literally, they get paid per fish. So their, their nets are breaking. They have to call out to their friends. Now both boats are sinking under the weight of so, much, so many fish. So you've gone from, hey, this is awesome, to we got to get to shore. we got to get to shore. we got to get to shore and cash this in. When Simon Peter, verse 8, saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Which is kind of an interesting reaction. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I would have thought, hey, thank you. Hey, you were right. Hey, give us a hand. Hey, can you levitate us over? You know, can you walk on the water and help us carry this in? But, but Peter falls on his knees. So, so Peter, in the midst of this chaos, the boats are sinking. The fishermen are counting their money before they've got it. Everyone's excited. Peter falls on his knees and says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Now, why does Peter react that way? Because Peter was the one person that saw beyond the blessing and beyond the fear of losing the blessing to the fact that he was in the presence 
of somebody who was radically different from all the other somebodies he'd been around, right? And when he says, I'm a sinful man, please don't hear that like, I'm a worm, I'm scum. Sin in the Bible, it just means you've missed the mark. So it was an archery word. So if you're aiming at a target and you miss, you've sinned. So, so that's, way, that's Peter's way of saying, I'm not, whatever you are, I'm not worthy to be in the presence of it. This was the first time in Luke's gospel that somebody looked at Jesus, saw Jesus do something, and then went, oh my goodness. Now notice what Jesus does. I love this. Verse 9, For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for what? You will now fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and the text says they followed him. Now, you have to understand, in the first century, Jesus was considered a rabbi, not like an official term like reverend today or bishop or whatever. But back then, if you were a teacher, you were called rabbi or you were called master. And the invitation that Jesus gave and that rabbis would give was to come and follow me. Follow me meant literally you would follow the rabbi, but it also meant that you were learning how to do what the rabbi did. How to teach what the rabbi taught, how to live like the rabbi lived. A better word for disciple is the word apprentice or the word student. So let's say you want to pick up golf. You go take lessons with a golf pro. You become an, an apprentice. You learn sailing. You take lessons. You, learn, you want to learn tennis. You take lessons. right? You become a student of someone to do what they do. So Jesus' invitation was come. And let's walk together, literally follow me, but also learn to do what I'm doing. Learn to repeat what I'm teaching. Learn to bless the way I'm blessing. And so Peter, far from saying, yep, I'm totally credentialed and in, says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And so Jesus looks at him and says, perfect. You're exactly what I'm looking for. Do you see the irony? The rabbis of the day loved the religious elite, loved the most studious. They loved the ones who'd memorized the Torah and practiced it scrupulously. Jesus is looking for some blue-collar guy who just simply says, I'm in the presence of something bigger and better than me. That evidently is enough to qualify you for the revolution. And Peter has this really spotty record then with Jesus. It's not like once Peter starts following Jesus uh, you know, Jesus is, has perfected him. No, Peter screws it up all the time. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you remember at one point Jesus says, I've got to suffer and die. And Peter begins to rebuke him. You don't rebuke Jesus, Peter. You just don't do that. And remember, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. You don't have in mind the things of God. Or, or Peter very famously denies Jesus three times. I don't know him. I never knew him. I don't know who you're talking about. So Peter's yes here was based on nothing more than the recognition that he wasn't qualified. And Jesus goes, perfect. Oh, I want to show you how colossally clueless this band of followers was. All right, so flip over to chapter 9. Because I would imagine that some of us every now and again, 
if we take this whole story seriously, think, I should be more advanced now. I should have it more together now. I should, I should, I should kind of be further along the path now. And I want to show you, these are the guys that watch Jesus walk on water, that watch Jesus feed 5,000 people, that watch Jesus do Jesus stuff for three years, and they so missed his point on so many occasions. The point, very simply, if there's room for them, there's room for us. Because we're dumb like that too. And when Jesus was patient with them, he will be patient with us. So three examples of how jacked up these guys turned out to be. It's like whenever you hear about like famous church leaders screwing up, I'm always sort of horrified, but then I'm always kind of like, well, yeah, that's who we are. You know, we're a bunch of, well, forget it. Now, <laughs> Luke chapter 9. <laughs> I don't know what was going to come out there, but it wasn't going to be good. <laughs> now, Luke chapter 9, verse 46. Jesus has just announced for the second time, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again. This is kind of the point of the whole journey. Verse 46, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. <laughs> You're following a Jesus who has just said, I'm going to suffer and die and rise again. And you are arguing about which one of you is going to be greatest. I love it. I love it. Do you know what pastors do when pastors get together? They talk about which of them is the greatest. Now, we don't, we jazz it up, but it's like, well, how big's your church? And how big? It's like, come on. I mean, we're still so screwed up. If you're here and you're like, the church is full of hypocrites, yes, because that's the only kind of people there are. So, welcome to the club. We'll put up with you if you'll put up with us. Now, so, so they're arguing. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child. And he uh, had the child stand beside him. Then he said, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the one who is least among you is the one who is greatest. In other words, my movement turns out to be exactly the opposite of what you were just discussing. And you should have known that. Second dumb example. I love this. I love this. Master, said John. We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of the authorized us. All right, now let's just, I want to take a quick poll. Okay, you don't even have to be a church person. Okay, just take a quick poll. Can we agree less demons is better than more demons? Can we agree with that? Just in general, is that true? That seems true to me. Less demons, better than more demons. But these guys saw someone else casting out demons, and they tried to stop him. Why? He's not one of us. He's not one of the inner circle. He doesn't have the right uniform on. Come on. I mean... <laughs> You want to you you know, you know what pastors love to do with each other? They love to criticize each other too, right? So, I mean, I, I find myself in all of these examples. It's just absolutely ridiculous. So Jesus, notice, I mean, Jesus is, you, your parents, 
If you're a parent, you know that frustrated, exasperated, like, really? Like that? That's the one word that Jesus says to me all the time. Really? I can imagine him saying this here. Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. Whoever is not against you is for you. In other words, us is a lot bigger than you. Right? So, which one of us is the greatest? We tried to stop him because he wasn't on our team. And then thirdly, oh, I love these guys so much. And this is all in a row. I mean, this is like... Jesus is announcing, I'm going to go die for the sins of the world. And these guys are like, sweet, which one of us is the greatest? (laughs) Verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, I know a lot of you are new, but I don't know, maybe a month ago we talked about how hated Samaritans were, right? Samaritans were offensive to the Jews. They were, they were half-breeds, so they were culturally offensive. These were Jews that intermarried with non-Jews generations before and had the audacity to claim that they were the true Jews in the land. They also set up a false temple on a different mountain than the one in Jerusalem and condemned the one in Jerusalem. So the Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They, they, they worked violence against each other. The Jews had a prayer in every synagogue service uh, that the Samaritans would have no inheritance in the life to come. I mean, it was crazy, the animosity. So Jesus is going to go through Samaria. The Samaritans don't welcome him. Now, here's the big idea. Oh, Verse 54, when the disciples, James and John, who we met with Peter, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? (laughs) Now, this is even more ridiculous when you realize there's an Old Testament passage they're referring to. So put up 2 Kings. All right, now, if you don't like the Old Testament, this is one of the reasons why you don't like it. All right, this is just a weird story. There was a Jewish king who was disobedient, shocking, who was injured in a fall. And the the Jewish king said, go consult this pagan medium about how long I have to live. God says, Elijah, most famous prophet of the Old Testament. Elijah, go stand in front on the road that this messenger from the Jewish king is going to take and tell him, really, there are no prophets in God's country? You've got to go consult pagans? And then see what happens. Okay, so here's what happens. The king heard this, and he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. Okay, to do harm against Elijah. The captain went up to Elijah who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, man of God, the king says, come down. Next slide. Elijah answered the captain, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. (laughs) 
as it happens, right? I wish I could do that. Well, forget it. All right. At this, the king sent, sent to Elijah another captain with his 50 men. How stoked are you to be that captain? The captain said, man of God, this is what the king says. Come down at once. Next slide. Boom. If I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed him and his 50 men. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. The third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged. Next slide. Please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men. And so Elijah shows mercy to him. Now, so the disciples, though this happened in Samaria in the Old Testament. So here are James and John. They're so bad. They're so awesome. Jesus getting disrespected. What? Well, we know what Elijah did. And notice the question they asked Jesus is, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Like, we're the Elijahs here. Do you see how ridiculous that is? Oh my goodness. So Jesus, Jesus says, oh, where am I? What chapter are we in? All right, thank you. <laughs> but Jesus turned and what? Yeah, I, and that's a, short, that's a shorthand way of saying he took him behind a woodshed, I think, and just went, God, really? I'm dying and suffering for the world. And you're arguing about who's the greatest. You, uh, you want to stop people from doing God's work. And thirdly, you want to call down fire from heaven because somebody opposes me. Now, this is halfway through or most of the way through Jesus's discipling of these guys. So how awesome are they? Not even remotely, which gives me so much hope. Right? Because I am a complete dork too. Now, so on the one hand, here's the contrast. On the one hand, you've got followers of Jesus who are, who are pretty slow. They're going to get it, right? At some point, they turn the world upside down with the help of Jesus. But man, they were in process for a long time. But then, so Jesus, and he's inviting everybody. Some follow. But just because they start following, it doesn't mean they're made perfect all at once, right? But Jesus also comes across people who refuse to follow. So I want to look at three quick examples of these guys. It's in the same text, Luke 9. So Jesus comes across three men, or people, I guess. No, men. Verse 57, same chapter. As they were walking along the road, a man came to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go, which is a pretty epic offer. Jesus responds with the ever warm and fuzzy, foxes have places to live, birds have places to live, but I, the son of man, which is a, a title that he would use for himself, but I have no place to lay my head. In other words, you think you want to follow me, but the journey isn't going to go how you think the journey is going to go. It's not a journey of glory, it's a journey of suffering that ends in glory, but they're suffering first. It's like Jesus is going, really? You're not, I don't know that you know what you're saying. Or next one. Jesus said to another man, follow me. That was his invitation everywhere. Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. 
Now, in English, it sounds like the guy, he's got a funeral to go to tonight. That's not quite how it worked in the first century. I know you're very familiar with first century burial practices in Judaism, but just by way of reminder, what you would do is you would take the body, you would wrap it in herbs and spices, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, you would wrap it up, and you would, you would over the course of a year, you would entomb it, and you would let the, the, the flesh wither away and turn to dust, okay? And then after about a year, it would take about that long to do it, after about a year, you would collect the bones that were left, and you would put them in something called an ossuary, which is a bone box, and that's what you would bury with the ancestors. So what this guy is saying isn't, hey, I've got a funeral tonight, can you wait? But it's, I'm somewhere in the middle of this year-long process, and I can't leave right away. And this explains why Jesus says the ever warm and fuzzy, verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, what I'm doing is so much more important than even your family obligations. And Jesus let the guy choose to not follow. Verse 61. So, three examples of followers who missed it. Three examples of people who were invited to follow, but ended up not following. Still another said, verse uh, 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now, this isn't a journey around the block Okay, this would have been a banquet, a feast. It would have taken a week. I mean, this was like, this wasn't like a text saying, hey, bye, I'm with Jesus, don't worry. <laughs> Jesus replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, we're all familiar with first century Jewish farming practices. So you'd have an ox, and that ox would have, he would be yoked and have a plow. And you, you wanted straight rows, just to be clear. And so Jesus is saying, nobody plows like this, right? No one drives in their rearview mirror. It's a way of Jesus saying, listen, if other issues are more important, don't worry about following along because what I'm doing is of the highest urgency. Three examples of followers who missed the point, and three examples of people who were invited to follow or said they wanted to follow but didn't. Now, do you see the contrast? What separates those who follow from those who don't? What separates them? Is it that those who followed were smarter? Or those that followed were more godly? No. Those that followed were more religiously qualified. Those that followed were better, more worthy. No. There is utterly no difference between the people who said no and the people who said yes, except for one thing. The people who said yes were humble enough to open themselves up to God, and the people who said no had other things going. That was it. There is utterly no difference between the two groups. They're equally jacked up. They're equally unqualified. They're equally common. Right? 
One just admitted, had the humility to open themselves up to what God was doing, and the other group didn't. That was it. That was the only difference. Now that turns out to be really good news, and here's the reason. See, Jesus, unlike, unlike a lot of American Christianity, of which I have been a part, Jesus never begged or bribed people into his movement. Not once. See, sometimes churches feel like, and, and I bash the church because I love it so much and I'm a part of it. Sometimes churches feel like we, we've got to give you Jesus, but then to really make him attractive, we've got to give you some steak knives and some cool marriage programs and the next epic sermon series and sizzle and worship and man, this is awesome. And it's like everything is, ah. Jesus, you know, I mean, I've read of churches giving away cars on Easter just to get people there. You're like, Jesus never did that. If you had better things to do, Jesus let you go. He never manipulated. He never nagged. He never coerced. He never bribed. He never begged. He just invited. That's all he did. That was it. And he loved people enough to let them walk. So no one ever gets criticized into the movement of Jesus. No one ever gets nagged into the movement of Jesus. They just get invited. So if you're a follower of Jesus and your spiritual gift is nagging, stop it. <laughs> All right? Stop. No one gets shamed into the movement. No one gets guilted into the movement. No one gets threatened into the movement. The reward of Jesus is Jesus. And that's it. There's none of this, hey, he'll make you wealthy, he'll make you healthy. No, Jesus jacks you up when you start following him. Sometimes it gets harder and more confusing when you follow him. Sometimes, sometimes he leaves as many questions unanswered as he answers. So Jesus was remarkably free from the neurosis of American Christianity that says somehow we got to dazzle people into this thing. Jesus just invited. And I'm so... I'm so mindful of this because across the world, on a Sunday, there are people gathering in secret for fear of death or imprisonment. There are people running through wilderness miles and miles and miles just for the opportunity to meet with 12 other disciples of Jesus. And they don't care about air conditioning. They don't care about comfy seats. They don't care about whether the speaker was good. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They don't care if it was coffee like literally the only thing that matters to them is gathering with other people. And I think for those of us who follow Jesus, this is such a good reminder that Jesus isn't lucky to have us. Right? You know how at the end of a flight, like we were on Southwest on Friday, and they say, hey, we know you have your choice of many airlines. Thank you for choosing us. Jesus is not up there saying, hey, I know you have your choice of many deities. Thanks for choosing me. Or, or, or sometimes you'll hear, like at a funeral, like I've heard this at the funeral of a carpenter. Well, God must, God must be building some new mansions, so he needed him. No! No! If God is real, he does not need you. He was fine before you ever existed, and he'll be fine forever. Right? And, and I'm saying this to those of us who follow him. Because even though we're all in process, sometimes it's real easy to start judging other people who are still in process, right? 
But if the one requirement to get into the whole thing is depart from me, I'm screwed up, I'm unworthy, I'm sinful, I've missed the mark, then the only thing all the followers of Jesus have in common is their screwed upness. Would you agree? And their screwed upness, our screwed upness, is no different from the screwed upness of the people who don't say yes to Jesus. So what we're invited to instead is simply this. The invitation to follow is the invitation to begin to rearrange life around the priority of the beauty of the movement of Jesus and his person. That's it. Just reshuffle the way that you live in light of the fact that this is real and this is happening. That's it. It's not join a religion. It's not get your act cleaned up. Man, if you had to get your act cleaned up to get in on this thing, none of us would be here. Right? Because it's for the unworthy, because that's the only kind of people there are. It's for the screw-ups, the only kind of people there are. But for those of you who haven't said yes to Jesus, please understand, he is relentless in pursuing you, but he won't nag you, he won't coerce you, he won't manipulate you. He just invites. And... Is there a cost to following Jesus? Absolutely. And there's a cost to not following. And Jesus was clear about both. Is there a, is there a cost to forgiving somebody who has really hurt you? Yep. But is there a cost to not forgiving that person? Yes, and it's bigger. Is there a cost to generosity, to learning to not define yourself by consuming and accumulating. Yes, there is a cost, and I know exactly what that cost is. But is there a bigger cost to greed? Yep. Is there a cost to purity and fidelity and faithfulness, integrity? Yes to all those things. But there's a bigger cost to giving yourself over to lust and immorality, right? I mean, so Jesus comes... And he doesn't beg, he doesn't bribe, he just invites. He, and, and if you say no, I mean, he, he's not going to stop loving you, pursuing you, speaking, reaching out. But, but please understand, unlike some church folk, he's not going to guilt you, he's not going to bribe you. Because what's the thing that got Peter in? It wasn't his goodness, it wasn't his religiousness, it wasn't his qualifications, because I, I do know some of you, and I know you, you got a rap sheet that's pretty big. And I talk to some of you, and you genuinely wonder, have I blown it too much to be a part of this whole thing? And with the loudest voice we can proclaim, no, no, no. I mean, most of your New Testament was written by a guy who had formerly murdered Christians. Your, the worship manual of the Old Testament was written by an adulterer and a murderer. Large chunks of the, uh, of the stories of the Old Testament concern cheats and liars and manipulators and abusers. Evidently, God's movement, us, is a lot bigger than you. And so you're welcome. And so somebody says to me, Man, I just don't feel worthy. I'm like, well, were you murdering anybody before this? Ha have you ever arranged for the death of someone you had an affair with? Covered up? Then you're in great company. <laughs> right? I mean, this, we're okay. 
Have you ever survived the flood of the world only to get drunk and naked the minute you hit land like Noah did? I mean, come on. So on that note, I shall close. All right, I'm going to pray. And unless you'd like to watch me, go ahead and close your eyes. But watch, but watch me. I'm really good at this. I'm really, really good at praying. Now, we're going to sing, and we don't sing because we have nothing else to do, but Christians for generations have sung their prayers. So we sing our prayers. Sometimes those prayers are declarations. Sometimes those prayers are pleas. Sometimes those prayers are apologies. Regardless of whether or not you know the words, stand, sit, lift your arms, don't. We just invite you to come into this however you are, but realize the revolution's for you, for you, and for you. And for you. Because the only qualification is the admission. Dang, I shouldn't be here. Perfect. Depart from me, I have a sinful man. Exactly who I'm looking for. So that's how awesome Jesus turns out to be. So, Lord Jesus, as a bunch of screw-ups, misfits, outcasts, we are so very grateful to discover the truth that you've come to pursue, to rescue, to love, to redeem. That yes, you do speak the truth about us and our world, but you do that in a way that calls forth hope and faith and love. And so my prayer very simply is for all of those who feel like they deserve to be in, you would humble us. And for all of those who think they're unworthy, that you would love them so magnificently, they would realize their worth has nothing to do with it. Their past has nothing to do with it. Their present has nothing to do with it. So now we're going to sing to you, and we pray that you'd receive this as the worship of of human hearts who recognize how beautiful you are. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Natalie! All right, we have a huge, huge value. We We have amazingly courageous men and women that come and just share a bit of their story and, um, and we just cheer them on. We think, you know, part of what we do is just to remind each other how in process we are. And, um, and so Natalie has courageously offered to share a bit of her journey. Okay, yeah. <laughs> do, you right. want, do you want this? Um, no, because I don't yeah. fidget. Okay, you don't fidget? No, We'll, we'll see do. about that. Oh, you do, okay. So this All keeps right. my hands busy. So okay, that's good. Physically Put it up, put it up. Oh, okay. All right there. Better? Yeah. Better? Just right here. Just rest it that right feels there. That so close. I know, but, they, but you, have, you have a soft voice. Oh, I do. Oh, that's, yeah. you may be the first person to ever say that. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> anyway, hi, my name is Natalie. Um, I'm a questioner, a doubter, and recovering cynic, dealing with depression and a generalized guilt for existing. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I was born in England, but raised by two of the most amazing, God-fearing, endlessly loving parents ever. Uh, By all accounts and memories, I was a happy child, joyful, friendly, had the deepest conviction from the earliest point I can remember that Jesus was undeniably real. Um, I was probably only about three or four when I solemnly told my dad one night that I wanted to ask Jesus into my heart. Uh, My early childhood was idyllic in many ways. Uh, Two older brothers, um, stay-at-home mom, canal at the bottom of the road, and sheep in a pasture. Come on. Seriously. Sheep? Yeah, sheep. Okay. 
No lies. Um, <laughs> my life was hijacked when I was about five. Uh, my boyfriend stole my jump rope on a play yard. Oh, oh. I know. But I slipped and fell and hit my head on a concrete. You had a boyfriend at five? I had like three. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't okay. know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, uh, two days later, I was put under general anesthesia for a tonsillectomy and seized on the table. Mm. Um, between the ground mal seizures, during surgery, nearly constant pet and mal seizures in the days that followed, the doctors figured out that a slip and fall had actually been a concussion. I had a frontal lobe brain injury and completely knocked out my written language skills, but also gave me a severe case of depression, mm. uh, one that wouldn't be fully and accurately diagnosed when I was a teenager. Ah, we moved to California when I was six. Uh, my first major questions about God happened when I was 10. Started to question whether this whole God thing was legit. I mean, everyone who claims a faith has some sense of assurance that they're correct in what they believe, so what made us Christians so special? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> still, I stayed the course. <laughs> this, I was already going to go over time anyways. Okay, go. I went, over, I went way over time. <laughs> Tell children's we're in trouble. Uh-oh. Uh, still, I stayed the course. At that point, my faith had shifted. Now I looked at those around me to affirm the existence of God and his character. Uh, I was in junior high, and I was bullied horrifically. There weren't many days that passed where I wasn't made fun of for my appearance, developed severe panic attacks. Somewhere around the high school, I was finally accurately diagnosed with major depressive disorder. After taking the evaluation tests, my psychiatrist remarked that he was actually surprised that I was functional, all things considered. Um, go me. Um, unfortunately, just like in high school, uh, the church wasn't a very safe place for me either. Um, I was not in the in crowd. I was awkward. There were popular girls, just like there were in school, and I wasn't one of them. Uh, the summer I grew up a bit. Uh, teenage girls tend to do that. Um, I briefly got into the entertainment industry, world of makeup, presentable hair, something resembling fashion, and my first photo shoot was my ticket to acceptability in my youth group. Uh, I wasn't excluded, but there was a flip side to that. Um, I still really didn't fit in. I couldn't ever quite manage to get the right balance of spirituality and physical presentation. Too much prayer or too little. Uh, T-shirts worn over bathing suits or spaghetti straps on a Sunday. Uh, it's a bit confusing. Uh, getting into the world of theater as a 14-year-old who looks 24 ended up being a mixed bag. Um, I gained a confidence that I was certainly lacking, but I did meet the man I'd go on to marry about a decade later. Um, but I also was exposed to a world of adults when I was still a child. I struggled a lot with self-hate, self-harm, an ever-shifting and shaky sense of self, and I still loved God, but that love was exploited. Um, between the ages of 17 and 23, I encountered more than one man who claimed an affection for God to get close to me, but had somewhat less of an affection for the word no. Um, I grew up in the I-Kiss dating goodbye, true love waits, it's not you, it's God not telling me you're the one era, um, I actually made up the last one, but it kind of encapsulates my dating experience. Um, plus, the guys with a really shoddy understanding of consent. Um, it was the last man of God, <coughs> air quotes. I made the mistake of trusting at 23, who made me reevaluate my relational requirements. I decided it was more important for me to have a man who could trust with my physical well-being than a man claiming Christ. Uh, I met my husband when I was 14 with a, girl, with a crush. We became friends at 19. He earned my test at 21, and we started dating about three years later. We dated for nearly a year, and then we broke up, and then we got pregnant, in that order. Um, we decided to give family a chance, and we got married. Um, I was still passively attending the church. I'd stopped being active after a string of disappointments and hurt. 
At the urging of a friend I'd taken the last sexual assault, I experienced leadership at the church, as the man involved was also a member of the community. They promised accountability and support, but they did nothing. Mm. I couldn't put myself out there anymore, so by the time I was pregnant, then very swiftly married, I was just passing through each Sunday, uh, the only person to call attention to my out-of-wedlock pregnancy was a man in the church. Uh, within about a two-minute conversation, uh, he asked me how far along I was and then how long I'd been married. Um, Point taken. Got it. Uh, shame's an interesting beast. For me, uh, by the time I hit my head on asphalt, I still felt a deep sense of guilt about everything and anything. Mm. By the time I was wearing my journal as a publicly visible baby bump, I was about ready to disappear. And to an extent, I did. I isolated. At that point, I was a Christian girl, an amazing family, who still had been there praying ceaselessly, loving unconditionally the whole time. But I was married to a non-Christian. I had a baby on the way. I was completely disillusioned about myself, about life, about God. And I stayed apart from the church community. I spent nearly five years unsure each day if I was damned to hell or not because I was unequally yoked. And felt for sure that no one was possibly as damaged and as screwed up as me. About a year ago, things took a dive. Right, then it got bad. Then After it got that, bad. That was just, then it got bad. Yeah, and only then. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh. A really, really deep, scary, awful dive. Uh, the depression had hit a point where my counselor had safety check phone calls with me on Fridays and Mondays because I was considered a potential danger to myself. Uh, thoughts of suicide, self-harm became an ongoing soundtrack in the background of my day. Isolated. When I did that, I completely bought lies about my life, about my marriage, and about God. And all I could say to fully encompass where I was at was that I was tired. I was so very, very tired. Uh, I hit the lowest low I could in faith, in relationship, in my emotional state. And that low, I started looking at what I thought I believed and why I believed it. I added a therapist, medication, near daily workouts, and God. Instead of fearing the thoughts and impulses of self-harm and death in my head, I started acknowledging them for what they were. They were just thoughts. They didn't hold any more power over me than I would grant them. Um, I looked at the man I'd grown, or the man I'd married, uh, that I labeled in some regards, because of his life prior to me was so very different than what I'd grown up expecting, and I saw his heart. Mm. His amazing heart. Um, endlessly optimistic, completely devoted, and who has a much better grasp on what it means to actively love than I do. Um, I started to seek God, not the evidence from people or my experience, but the God of the gospel. Yeah, I was in many where I am in a, wait, wait, I can't read. I wasn't in many regards, still am a contradiction. I'm an extroverted introvert. I love people. I thrive off being social, but I'll never be uh, overly comfortable being the center of attention. Yeah. <coughs> I loved, <laughs> I love Jesus in theory, but his people haven't really seemed to love me back. Uh, I'm an artist. I've learned that with the blessing of creativity comes a side effect of thinking and feeling a lot. Um, Earlier this year, I came across Vox, and the website said, you don't need to have it all together and have your questions answered or get cleaned up before you're welcome here. Um, I can manage that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still finding what it means to be comfortable in my own skin. I struggled as a kid, raised in the church in middle school, or bullied an awkward, naive teen girl, a grown woman seen as an object, and somewhat confused and depressed Christian, then as a wife and as a mother, and especially a mother of two girls. I swear I'm almost done. No. So good. <laughs> There's a lot of mess in my life, a lot, but a few things I'm certain of. First, to believe in God and light means there's an antithesis and opposition. That opposition loves to feed the lie that no one's as horrible, messed up, confused, or damaged. Right. That lie That's is right. isolating, and the isolating is crippling. 
That's right. Second, Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus I'm most interested in. As much as the church should be a reflection of God, as they're comprised of humans, they are inherently flawed. <laughs> <laughs> Measuring a perfect God by imperfect people's behavior is illogical at best and downright damaging to me. It took the ac- or I took the actions of people who claimed his name as a direct witness to his character, but the mistakes of people are not indicative of the nature of God and his intent. And I'm learning that Jesus is endlessly better than that. Amen. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. I'm just so sorry. And the hope is that as screwed up as we are, um, may we present a more uh, Jesus-looking face. Um, I I just want to pray for my sister, if that's all right. Thanks for being so honest. Uh, God, Natalie, I think, uh, speaks for many of us who don't feel worthy, who feel like um, there's a long list of reasons why we shouldn't step foot um, in a community of faith. Uh, who feel abandoned, who feel betrayed, who feel manipulated. And, uh, and, and so my prayer is that this would be a place where she finds healing and rest and, um, and, and finds the reflection of your thoughts towards her, reflected in the faces of uh, brothers and sisters here who now know her story and who take great delight in her presence with us. And, uh, and so, God, as we take the bread and the cup this morning, we realize it's for her. It's for me. That there's no, there's no damnation for, uh, for unequally yoked. There's no, um, there's no lie that, that says that somehow she's not worthy. We, we just recognize the tables for her and for me and for us. Amen. Amen. Go ahead. So um, we're just going to open up um, our communion stations. We, uh, every week we celebrate the Eucharist. And this is the physical representation of the welcome that you will find in Jesus. And so we don't check IDs. We don't check creedal statements. If there's just the tiniest bit of faith that says, I want or I take a step, or I'm open to, we just inv- invite you to come. And for generations, Christians have been taking bread and taking a cup of wine or of juice as uh, not only a memorial for what Jesus has done, his body broken and his blood shed for us, but in expectancy that that same Jesus is still at work today, healing, drawing close to the brokenhearted, angry at the, the work that's done in his name that doesn't reflect him. So um, we're going to open up the tables gluten-free over there, um, of course. Uh, sorry, I make a joke every week about it. I just love it. Um, we're going to have, somebody asked if we're going to have a, a table uh, for carnivores. Um, and that's tough to do in communion, so maybe we'll add some bacon-flavored bread or something. I'm not, I'm not sure the, the pig thing in the Jewish meal, I'm not sure that fits, but we'll see. 
the gluten-free is over there. And, and next to those stations will be Carolyn. Carolyn's always. Who's over here today? Carrie's over here. And so, is that you, Aline? Hi, are you praying today? I wouldn't either. No way. It's scary. It's scary job. But we have folks that are near all the stations who would love to pray for you. Whatever it is. And these are not folks uh, that are, are weird or crazy. These are just folks who have an incredible gift of mercy who would love to hear what's going on and to ask God's blessing upon your life. Um, and then there are these little boxes. We call them participation boxes. We are supported by so many generous people. And we invite you into that. And not because God needs your money or we do, although we do. <laughs> but, but rather, um, we, we, we want to learn the art of generosity. And this is one of the ways we practice that as a symbolic gesture saying, okay, God, this, this whole thing's yours. This whole thing is yours. So if you want to do that, great. Uh, but now we're just going to open up the service. I want to pray. Izzy will take over and, um, and we'll go from there. Sound good? So the tables will be open as soon as I say amen. So God, thank you. Thank you for Natalie. Thank you that your grace extends to those of us who feel so isolated and so lost. Thank you that you are relentless in your pursuit of lost sheep and lost coins um, and lost brothers and sisters. Thank you for that. And, uh, and so God, we now just respond to the good news. And so we take bread and we take juice in faith, in faith that you are real, in faith that you are good, in faith that we are welcome. And so we do that as an act of faith. Father, bless our time in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, nothing says Hosanna like Dippin' Dots. So we're going to just continue worshiping. Oh. So uh, we're glad you're here. We really are. And we'd love to say hello. Um, you can go on our website, voxoc.com. Leave us feedback from today. Fill out a here's who I am and I'd love more information thing. Or we have cards out on the tables out there that you can fill out and put in the participation boxes. Um, we do a new to Vox dinner once a month. So you can check our website. Come over to our place. Eat some barbecue uh, that Lindsay makes. Uh, and uh, it's pretty epic. She did, um, I think, what did she do last time, Andy? It wasn't barbecue. It wasn't as good, though. <laughs> it was barbecue. What was it? Oh, enchiladas. Uh, that, that was, okay, it was a close second. It was a close second. Um, so anyway, would you stand? And uh, I'm going to do this little thing I, I do. I don't feel like I've truly earned my paycheck until I bless. No, I'm not going to jump. But I am going to start moving this way so I can, I can rush out there. Right? So don't, so close your eyes. <laughs> All right. My brothers and my sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his count. Nope. Is that right? Okay, I had it. All right. I'm going to start over. I've only said this 800 times. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance to you, is what I said. And may he, may he give you peace in these days. Amen and amen. Say hello to somebody dipping dots. Thanks for listening to the Box Community Podcast. Participate in the Box Community at boxoc.com slash participate.